The Nats Chat Podcast Party is coming up Friday, October 13th from 6.30 to 8.30 at Walters. Just like last year, we'll be hanging out, chatting baseball, and watching sports. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Shaded around the other way towards left against Garcia. Strider delivers swing and a ground ball deflected by Strider. It will go out into left center field. Manessis around third coming home. Garcia's on his way to second. He'll dive in there without a play as Michael Harris the second is just now up with the ball and lobbing it into second. Base hit for Garcia. An RBI and the Nationals now lead three to nothing. And Weems delivers. Swing and a long drive to center field. This is way back. Young looking up. It's going, going, and long, long gone. Goodbye. In dead center field, a monster of a three-run homer for Marcelo Zuna. Four runs home here for the Braves in the bottom of the fifth inning. It's now Atlanta five and Washington three. And welcome to Nats Chat for Sunday, October 1st. 2023, what is the final day of Major League Baseball's 2023 regular season? You see, who says that the Nats did not make it to October this season? They did make it to October, but uh, so did every other team, uh, along with MadsonSports.com, Nats insider Mark Zuckerman, who was at Truist Park in Atlanta, Mal Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. The Nats on Saturday night in game two of a three-game series at the Major League leading Atlanta Braves scored three runs in the top of the first off Braves starter Spencer Strider. This was looking like a second consecutive impressive offensive performance for the Nats uh, in this series off the five home run barrage in the 10-6 win on Friday night. But the Nats ended up being shut out the rest of the game, a 5-3 loss at the Braves. Nats now 70-91 and on the season. Coming up later in the show, we'll discuss uh, the most notable items from Nats president of baseball operations and general manager Mike Rizzo in a season-ending session with reporters, including Mark, on Saturday afternoon. But Mark, you know, the Nats this season have scored 690 runs. 96 of those runs, 13.9%, have been first-inning runs. It at times has felt like 90% of Nats' runs this season have been first-inning runs. Such a good start to this game, but uh, not much the rest of the game. Part of me wasn't surprised by what happened, but part of me honestly was. I, I thought, hey, they're about to spoil this night for Spencer Strider. You know, he he takes the mound, and the Braves as a team had nothing to play for, but they had a lot of individual stuff to go for. And in Strider's case, that was his 20th win, and he needed three strikeouts to break John Smoltz's franchise record for strikeouts. 
in a single season. Well, by the end of the first inning, he got the strikeouts because he had all three of them. But it required 36 pitches for him to complete that inning. They scored three runs off him. Braves actually had the bullpen up and running before that inning was over, worried that his pitch count was going to get too high and they're going to have to pull him. And I was thinking like, man, they're going to completely spoil this for him. At a certain point that inning, Spencer Strider, 20-game winner, strikeout leader in the major leagues, had a higher ERA for the season than Josiah Gray did. Okay. Now, he turned it around, obviously, after that and wound up going five and got the win because his offense rallied uh, on his behalf. But I do feel like we saw that happen too many times this year. Good start to the game, sometimes a good finish to the game, but in between, boy, just a whole lot of nothing. Yeah, uh, and the middle does count, unfortunately. But yes, this was a really good first inning for the Nats. You had C.J. Abrams leading things off with an infield single. You then did get a Lane Thomas strikeout, but Abrams stole second. Capebert Ruiz, RBI double. Joey Manessis, RBI single. Luis Garcia, RBI double. Nats up 3-0. Then Dominic Smith draws a one-out walk. Now, uh, Carter Keeboom and Jake Alou did each strike out swinging to conclude things, but the Nats were off and running, and then the rest of the game, just not much happening. The Nats for the game, 10 hits, four of the 10 hits coming in that first inning. How about what happened in the top of the eighth? The Nats had runners on first and second with two outs while down 5-3. Jacob Young hit a grounder up the middle. Brave second baseman Ozzie Albies made a terrific running and backhanded catch of the grounder. Runners go. The pitch swung on ground ball toward the middle. It'll be fielded by Albies. He's throwing towards the plate and Smith trying to score. The throw to Murphy running him back toward third. Now the flip and he tries to avoid the third baseman. Riley will be ruled out of the baseline to end the inning. What'd you think of that play? Oh boy. Um... I'm not going to call it a toot bland, but I think it's close to one. I just don't understand what the thought process is there. And it just clearly wasn't paying attention to what was going on. I guess he just assumed the throw was going to first. But even if it did, Dom Smith's not the most fleet of foot runner out there. And I think there was a chance he would have been thrown out of the plate, even had it gone 6-3-2 instead of straight up 6-2. So... I'm not sure if that's on him, if it's on Gary DeSarcina, whatever the case, it was ugly. And at a point in the game where that just wasn't worth the risk. If it's CJ Abrams, if it's Jacob Young, you say, okay, you might be able to pull that one off. But Dom Smith, he's got some strengths. That is not one of them trying to score from second base on an infield single. Did DeSarcina wave Smith home? It was not easy to tell. I honestly am not sure. Never even expected the play to happen, so it caught me by surprise. <laughs> and I just kind of looked down and was like, wait a minute, how? what just happened there? So I'm not 100% sure of that. Whether he did or not, it is a third base coach's responsibility to communicate to the runner what to do or what not to do there. So if he didn't wave him, he needed to be more vocal in telling him to stop or at least anticipate that he might think about going because, I mean, it... It's not even like, oh, well, that was a close play. Like he had to slam on the brakes and get into a rundown. It was not even close to being a close play at any point. No, it wasn't. And it was a really bad looking play too. So I mentioned the Nats having 10 hits. Uh, among those who had multiple hits for the Nats in this game was C.J. Abrams. Uh, he went two for five with a double, a single, and a stolen base. So he's now at 45 stolen bases on the season, one shy of the uh, single season stolen base record for Nats players since the franchise came here. Trey Turner's 46 in 2017. Safe to say that on Sunday, if slash when Abrams gets on base, uh, he'd be off and running at some point. 
I think so. And that's pretty much what he's been doing for weeks now, if not months now. Most of the time he gets on first base for sure. He's going to take a shot at it. And he's been very successful. Now that one tonight, he was called out initially. And watching it live in real time, you thought, oh, they got him. And then when you watch the replay, because the Nats challenged it, you realize what happened. His helmet came off as he's sliding and the tag was applied to the helmet, which was no longer attached to his head. And therefore, it doesn't count. I'd be curious at what point in the helmet coming off process is it no longer considered part of the body? Like if it's just starting to come off, if it's still making contact with the head, does that count? I don't know the bylaws on that one. But that was one. I'd never seen that before where the tag is applied to what the fielder assumes is the runner, except it's not actually the runner. It's his helmet that has now come off in the process of sliding. We have Abrams going for at least 46 stolen bases on the season. Obviously, could surpass that. Lane Thomas at 28 home runs. I know he hasn't been at his best lately. Did homer on Friday night. Would love to see him get to 30 on the year. It's you know probably not going to happen, but who knows? I mean, a two-homer game on Sunday isn't impossible. As things stand now, Abrams at 18 homers, Kbert Ruiz at 18 homers on the season. So unless one of those guys homers twice on Sunday, you're looking at only one Nationals player with at least 20 home runs on the season. In terms of individual statistical achievements, anything else to be looking for on Sunday or, or not so much? I think Joey Manessis, he's at 88 RBI after driving one in in that first inning rally. If he were to get two more and get to 90, I think that'd be a pretty cool thing for him, given where he came from. And given the fact he's only hit 13 homers, drive in 90 runs, you got to have a lot of other quality at bats with runners in scoring position. And that's really been his forte this year. So I think if he could get to 90, that'd be a nice number for him. I think those are the main ones I'm looking at. There's not a lot else individually still up for grabs. I think Lane Thomas has an outside shot at 90, but he needs a big game as well. I think what I I take away from a lot of this is we're going to look at some season totals for these guys and say, okay, that's a good number and they did a pretty good job of this. And I think in every one of those cases, you could say they could be better. You know, CJ got off to such a slow start to the year. So there's a lot more in the tank there, I think, for him. Ruiz has had his moments, but he's also slumped at times. I think he could be even better. Lane Thomas, no homers in April. And down the stretch, while he's hit some homers, he's really struggled with runners in scoring position. He probably should be approaching 100 RBI, given the kind of season that he's put together. Manessis, of course, could do more. So I, I actually think there are a decent number of guys that you would say they've had solid seasons, But there's certainly more they could reach. And I think that was a theme, as we'll get to here eventually, with Mike Rizzo and what I've also gathered from Davey Martinez down the stretch here. As they look ahead to their offense in 2024, there is an understanding that they need to be better in a lot of different ways that they've improved, but there's still a lot more room for improvement. Did you listen to cassette tapes? Did you make mixtapes for friends? then you'll love Mark Master's new book, High Bias, The Distorted History of the Cassette Tape, out October 3rd, just as the Nats season closes. It's a fun and engaging look at the heyday of the cassette tape, how it was invented, how it changed music history, and why it's still not dead. Dust off your old Walkman and dig into High Bias, available for pre-order at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and wherever else books are sold. Go to highbiasbook.com for more info. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. 
Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Here's the pitch. Breaking ball line to right. Going to be a base hit. Charging up to get it, Thomas Acuna around third, coming home. The throw to the plate on one hop, not in time. Acuna scores standing in behind Ruiz. Holding it first with a single to right is Ozzy Albies. RBI number 109 on the year for him. This is now a one-run game. It's Washington 3 and Atlanta 2. Well, the Nats' starting pitcher for this uh, 5-3 loss at the Braves on Saturday night was Yoan Adone, and uh, he lasted... For just four innings, uh, he allowed three runs in four innings. Actually got off to a pretty good start in the game, but ultimately got yanked after four innings, got charged with three runs. He gave up six hits, two doubles, and four singles. He issued two walks, did have five strikeouts, but he over the four innings threw 88 pitches, 55 strikes versus 33 balls. You take a step back, Joanna Doan this season at the major league level appeared in 12 games with 10 starts. The ERA ends up being 645 the whip ends up being 163. He twice flirted with throwing a no-hitter, but he, beyond those two starts and another good start, really was not good. And it kind of surprised me to look at those numbers. They end up being basically in the same ballpark as the numbers for last season, which we knew were not good. Now, the numbers last season were worse, but Adone in the 2022 season at the major league level, 14 starts, 64 and two-thirds innings, ERA of 710, whip of 178. So an ERA of 645, a whip of 163. Improvement, I guess, but really still not that good. You don't want to write him off. I mean, this season was only his age 24 season, but boy, he has had a decent amount of opportunity the last two seasons to assert himself at the major league level. And it just hasn't happened yet. And that doesn't mean that it can't happen, but it does feel increasingly likely that it won't be happening. Yeah, and I think it's a similar theme in a lot of these from last year and this year. High pitch count might be good one time through the lineup, but by the second time and certainly by the third time, it's not there. And he spoke about this after the game that he feels like he has to use up his whole arsenal to get through the lineup the first two times that they've already seen everything he has by the time they come up again in the fifth inning, let's say. And so he's got nothing really left to try to surprise him with. And so I think he wants to work on his pitch selection. He would love to be more efficient, but you got to throw strikes to do that. You got to get ahead in the count and then you got to get out with those quality strikes. And while we've seen it in a couple of starts here and there, just not on a regular basis. I mean, the problem with this one is he gets through the four things, only allowed one run to, as we know, the best lineup in baseball, but it's taken him 79 pitches to do that. And so you're already behind the eight ball. You've already faced the lineup two times over. And 
Davey put him back out there for the fifth, I think, because they just were trying to get some length, given how much they had to use the bullpen the previous night. Faces two batters, gives up two hits, and that's it for him. So if he is going to somehow take that next step and be a more consistently effective big league starting pitcher, he's got to show that he can get through a fifth inning with a modest pitch count, get hitters out more than once per game, get ahead in the count, all those kinds of things. And you're right, he's young and there's still time for that to develop. But I think as you're putting together your rotation depth chart entering 2024, I think he's pretty low on that list. Certainly not a guy who, if everything works out the way it's supposed to, he's not a guy who's in the opening day rotation and maybe not even their first choice when something does go wrong. Yeah, I was going to say, as bad as Trevor Williams has been, it feels like it's more likely that Williams is in the 2024 opening day rotation than Adon is, even though you know that may not make sense when you think about it, because Adon is younger and in theory has more upside than Williams has. But I don't know. It just it doesn't feel like it's happening with Yohan Adon. And uh, had he shown better for himself down the stretch of this season, I think the conversation would be a lot different. I mean, this is part of why I think the Jake Irvin thing was so good this year. Irvin was kind of in the same predicament as Adone, and Irvin asserted himself. Adone just has not done that. Right. And remember, Irvin's first few starts, kind of shaky. He had one good one in San Francisco. Then they had him skip a start. They worked on some things, and he took off after that. And they were really pleased with that and saw from a rookie pitcher an ability to make adjustments. I think that's what they would love to see from Yoan Adone. And he has not shown that ability yet to do that. So, yeah, I agree. I think, you know, Irvin, Jackson Rutledge are ahead on the depth chart. And for better or worse, and some of that's the contract, of course, I think Trevor Williams has a better shot at being in the opening day rotation. And maybe even if he's not in the opening day rotation, as in, in the bullpen, I think they would probably turn to him if they needed another starter because somebody went down before they would go to Adone at this point. Unless Adone has a great spring and really shows that he's become a different kind of pitcher. Would be awesome to see that. And as we've talked about with Adon too, he does not profile as someone who probably would be good as a reliever, at least as he is uh, currently constituted. It feels like if Adon is going to hit, it's going to be as a starter. Otherwise, he's probably not going to make it in the majors just because he he puts guys on base. And you know, if he's going to find himself, he's going to find himself as a starter. I don't know that he could do well as a reliever. Although again, you know, things can change. Well, speaking of relievers, Davey Martinez in the 10-6 win at the Braves on Friday night used six relievers. Davey in this 5-3 loss at the Braves on Saturday night used five relievers. Davey is sparing no bullpen arm uh, in this final series of the season for the Nats. So five Nats relievers on Saturday night officially combined to allow two runs in four innings. Uh, although Jordan Weems, who has fallen off here lately, he and a Braves four-run fifth gave up a one-out three-run home run by Marcelo Zuna on a moonshot to center field for a 5-3 Braves lead. The homer went a projected 432 feet for StatCast. And if you're wondering what is meant by the phrase pimping a home run, just watch what Ozuna did upon hitting this home run. He did nothing, which is exactly what pimping a home run can be. He stood and admired the blast, and it was some blast. But boy, Ozuna like barely moved at all upon making contact with that baseball. That home run, by the way, the Nats' major league worst 93rd relief pitching home run allowed this season. And uh, that is worst in the majors by a good bit. I mean, it's not really close with the next worst team in the majors in terms of relief pitching home runs allowed this season. But also in this game, from a Nats bullpen perspective, 
was the season debut at the major league level of Tanner Rainey. The Nats on Friday afternoon announced that they had reinstated Rainey from the 60-day entered list, which he had been on uh, since opening day, March 30th, off the Tommy John surgery that he underwent on August 3rd, 2022. Rainey on Saturday night, a scoreless bottom of the eighth, despite giving up an infield single and issuing a walk and a wild pitch. Included in that mix uh, was an error by Carter Keeboom, who committed two errors in this game off us talking up <laughs> his defense on the previous show. His defense has been better. He just did not have a great game on Saturday night. But for Rainey in this game, 18 pitches, 11 strikes, versus seven balls, average four-seam fastball velocity, 96.2 miles per hour per stat cast. What'd you make of the uh, season debut here of Rainey? First of all, Carter Keeboom let me have it in the clubhouse after the game for complimenting him because I had asked him after the game about how his defense is better, and he was not happy about that fact, and uh, I guess he feels like I jinxed him. So he was good-natured, but yeah, that was unfortunate to see after how uh, well he had played. Tanner Rainey, he was thrilled with the way it went. And he said, yeah, he would have preferred not to walk a batter and have a couple guys on base, of course, but he felt good. The fastball was up in velocity from where it was on rehab, and he thinks that was the adrenaline of being in the big leagues. He was 96 to 97. A little bit of command issues, but 18 pitches to get through a scoreless inning, I think for him, absolutely. As he described it, it made the 14 months worth it. This is why... You know, when there was all those questions about, is it worth it to bring him back just to pitch in one game at the end of the season? Yeah, this is why. This way, he has that moment. He can rejoice in the fact that he made it all the way back from the hardest surgery there is for a pitcher. And now he can go into the offseason feeling good about himself and focus on now being a real contributor next year. That's the plan. They want him to join Kyle Finnegan and Hunter Harvey and make for a pretty intimidating back-end trio of right-handers in their bullpen. Now, he's got a lot still to prove that he can hold up over you know the kind of usage that they will need from him. It's not like this is a guy who was consistently a dominant reliever. He had his moments, but also at times could lose it, especially when it came to command. But this was a big step for him, a big night for him. He's not an emotional guy, but he was really pleased at how this all went, essentially best case scenario for him. Well, you look at Tanner Rainey with the Nats, 2019 through 2022, he in each season had a strikeouts per nine innings of at least 10.8, double digit strikeouts per nine innings. Another issue for the Nats this season in terms of the bullpen has been a lack of strikeouts. The Nats are dead last in the majors by a good bid in relief pitching strikeouts per nine innings on the season, 7.85. So if you have a healthy Rainey next season and you have a healthy Hunter Harvey next season, and those are two big ifs, but if those things are the case, maybe just maybe the Nats can get back to having a bullpen that generates some strikeouts here because that's been an issue. I think that's been kind of an underrated issue. You know, you you have relievers who come into games often with men on base. You need to have swing and miss stuff. You need to generate strikeouts, not ground outs, not fly outs that become RBI sack flies, but strikeouts. And there have been way too few strikeouts from Nats relievers this season. Even Harvey, I think, can be better in terms of generating strikeouts given his stuff. I think Finnegan can be better in that regard. I, I think this is a, a major thing that uh, Mike Rizzo is going to look to improve upon this offseason. Yeah, I agree. I think it's important across the board they are better in that department, and Rainey can make a big difference. And what I loved about him in this first appearance, yeah, you focus on the fastball and what the velocity was, but his slider was sharp. Got the strikeout on a slider. The very first pitch he threw 
I don't think I've ever seen this, never expected this. The first pitch he threw after 14 months out of the big leagues from Tommy John surgery was a slider. It's the one that Rosario hit the little nubber that turned into chaos out there. But that wasn't the plan going in. He didn't know that was going to happen. But Cabert Ruiz gave him the sign. They didn't want Rosario ambushing him with a fastball. They just thought, oh, well, hey, he's out there pitching for the first time in a year. He's just going to try to groove a fastball. Threw him a slider, and it was an effective one, and he got weak contact with it. So between that and the strikeout, on top of the good velocity with his fastball, I, I think there's a lot to be encouraged by. All right. So Mike Rizzo, uh, he spoke to you guys for a good bit of time prior to this game on Saturday. I think we're in a good place. I, you know, I, I, I like where our young core minor, major leaguers are, and I, I like the uh, the developmental year that the minor leagues had. So I, I think that we're on track to, uh, to turn this thing around. And- there were a few things that stood out to me. I mean, no major news was made. But I think there definitely were some themes that we can hit on here. I have to say my favorite moment was when you asked Mike about making another 15-win leap, right? Nats this season have gone from 55 to 70 wins. The idea would be how do you get from 70 to 85 or thereabouts? And uh, Mike began his answer to you by saying, play better. (laughs) And it's like, uh, yeah, that would be part of it. Mike gave some very vague generic answers when it came to the rebuild as a whole, which of course is not by accident. You don't want to be too specific with this stuff. But uh, you were there. What stood out to you from what Mike had to say? There was a lack of specifics and there wasn't that one answer that you said, oh, okay, there, that's really something of note that I need to make sure I run upstairs and, and write about immediately as a news story. I think there was, though, a few things. I think an acknowledgement on his part that they've made progress this year, but they still have a long way to go. They know they're not there yet. Yeah, he said play better, but I think also he came over with that answer and a different one. He acknowledged, and Davey has acknowledged this in recent days as well, they need to hit for more power. They know that. They know that's the biggest issue with their lineup. And I think facing the Braves here, seven of their last nine games underscores it more than anything. And so it is something they're going to shoot for. Now, what he didn't say is how do you become a better power hitting team? Are you waiting for James Wood and Dylan Cruz and Brady House to be a part of the lineup to do that? Or are you actually going to go out and acquire somebody who could be a big middle of the order bat? He didn't really reveal to us whether he thinks he's going to be in a position to spend big this winter in free agency or whether we're talking about the one-year stopgap, Jamer Candelario, Dom Smith, Corey Dickerson kind of signings. My hunch is it's more likely to be that than it is a big signing. But we've seen him play his cards close to the vest before. And if ownership gives him the ability to go and do that, I think that would be their number one priority, to go find a legit middle-of-the-order power bat that can drive in runs and bunches, but also allow others in this lineup to move into positions that they're better suited for and not put so much on, say, a Joey Manessis to hit cleanup when that's probably not who he should be at this point. I was happy to hear Mike acknowledge that not hitting for power is a real problem with this team. And I know that that may sound like such an obvious thing to acknowledge, but you never know what internally the organization is thinking. And Mike now speaks so infrequently that you know, you can't be certain of anything in terms of like what he really thinks of this stuff. And, you know, 
maybe he thought that the scrappy Nats thing is something that can uh, be built upon or, you know, that making contact is a way to go more than people think. It's like, no, he said it. We got to hit for more power. And he's 100% right in saying that. So that was good. He did confirm to you that the Nats coaches are all on expiring contracts. So that stood out. So we could be seeing some coaching staff changes, although he suggested that the uh, coaching staff decisions will be primarily Davey Martinez's. But he also said that he and ownership uh, might have some input on that. So that's going to be interesting. And, and that may be something we get some answers on, you know, come like the initial weeks off the end of the NAD season. You know, with the rebuild, right? It's like you want to know when. It's like, you know, kids in the back of the car on a long car trip. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Right? Like, is the rebuild over yet? And where are we going with the rebuild? And, you know, we don't know. I don't think Mike knows. Like, I know he was being evasive with some of his answers, but I I think there's actually a truth in that, in that he doesn't know. I I don't think anyone can know. I think one of the interesting things about this season is, I think there's reason to be encouraged, but I think there still are a lot of questions about what's going to happen here. And I think when you look at the bright spots of this season, there are mitigating factors with those bright spots. Like Josiah Gray, step forward season, but he really struggled at at, uh, a point late in the season. C.J. Abrams, step forward season, but, you know, the overall numbers really aren't that good, especially in terms of the batting. And you definitely say to yourself, like, there's another level he needs to get to. You know, Mackenzie Gore, same kind of thing. He was good. He stayed healthy for the most part this season. But, you know, his ERA wound up deep into the fours. So it's like, okay, you know, he needs to be better than that. So that's kind of where we are. Like, I think at this point you say the rebuild could work. It might not work. I think you have more reason now to think that it will work, but I think there's still a lot to be determined. I said this on a recent show and I really believe this. I think next year is huge. I really do. I think a year from now, we're going to have a much better sense of is this rebuild going to work or not? And it might be as obvious as, you know, the Nats at this point next season have a win total in the 80s and are very much in wildcard contention. Boom. You know, they busted out. The rebuild is blossoming before our eyes. But even if the team from a win-loss standpoint isn't, say, in wildcard contention next year, you still could feel like the rebuild is working if Dylan Cruz and James Wood are killing it and Kate Cavalli is pitching really well. So there are a lot of ways that things could go next year. But I have a hard time believing that at this time next year, we won't have a clear vision of whether this rebuild is working. Because by this time next year, the likes of Cruz and Wood and Cavalli and Gray and Gore and Abrams and Ruiz and all these guys should be at the major league level, and we should have better senses of where those guys are at and how things are going with them. And so I think from that standpoint, it's, it's pretty exciting to think about next year. I think we're going to get some answers on this rebuild next season. Yeah, and I would add two more names, Brady House and Trey Lipscomb, who could, by the end of next year, be a part of this as well. And I think all of that, what you just outlined there, is why, number one, Mike Rizzo genuinely doesn't know a timeline or certainly isn't going to say it publicly yet because so much depends on how all that comes together. But I think that's also, in my mind, why I think that they're probably not going to go spend big this winter. I think they want to wait and figure out what do we have here? Who among these top prospects are legit? Who are going to step right in and be good big leaguers right away? You know, they might be big league ready, but it may take them a while once they get here, to be productive. So I think there's that. And I think you kind of, there's a few different ways you can go. If you say, okay, we've got eventually the kind of funds to go spend on a couple big name players. Well, where are you looking for that? Is it a power bat? Is it a starting pitcher? Is it a first baseman? Is it a third baseman? Is it an outfielder? There's different ways they can go about that. And I don't think they know yet because they still don't know what they have internally who's going to fill a lot of those spots. So I think as frustrating as it may be, 
for fans who want to see them start to get back in this thing and make the Jason Worth signing this winner that they made after 2010. My hunch is that they will wait a little while because by this time next year, they should know what they have, what they don't have, and now how they can best try to fill their biggest needs. Yeah, I might be in the minority on this. I don't think they have to spend big this offseason. I think the prudent approach is to not spend big this offseason and to wait and see who develops and what happens. And I think the fans who equate spending big with getting good again, I think you're looking at it the wrong way, man. I just I don't think that that's the way to get good. I think so many of these free agent deals flop. And if you look at so many of the good teams out there, like the foundation is the farm system. And let's see what comes of the farm system before we go out and determine what needs to be bought via free agency. And you know what's interesting too? More and more, these free agent classes are becoming less and less impressive because more and more, the really good players are getting locked up via contract extensions. And so you look at these free agent classes now and like, yes, there are some appealing players. I'm not saying they're all bad. But it's not like it was. And there's almost now a thing of if a guy makes it to free agency, you sort of have to ask the question, how come he made it to free agency? How come he didn't get extended? You know, is is that just because he didn't want to sign or or, or did his previous team kind of know something or see something to where that team decided not to extend the guy? And so I just I would be careful with this. And I do see this a lot. I'm sure you see it, too, on Twitter of like, well, you know, the Nats, they don't spend. They need to spend more. It's like stop equating that with getting good again. You get good via your own homegrown players. Free agency is not that path. And uh, I I don't think you have to be looking at that as like the way to get good. The way they're going to get good is if these prospects pan out. And we still have a ways to go before we know the answer to that. I agree. And I I think the way to look at it is. You give your homegrown guys the first shot at filling all these needs. And then once you know who is and who isn't part of that, then you spend whatever money you have to address whatever's left. Those are sort of the finishing touches of the whole equation. And I know it's different than the way they did it last time around. They went and signed Jason Worth coming off a season in which they lost 93 games. So kind of similar to what this year is, 2010 team. But I think that one was different in that they felt like they had to, for the first time, show the baseball world they were serious about spending money. They went into that offseason knowing, okay, there's about four prominent free agents out there. We got to sign one of them to show how serious we are. And so they went and got Jason Worth. And while he was a big part of what they then did, it really was more about the homegrown players and some other calculated moves they made in trades like Gio Gonzalez and some others. So I think as much as we want to compare this rebuild to the last one, it is different in that I think this time around, there are more potential homegrown stars than there were then. We don't know for sure if it's going to work out, but I think there's more potential. And there's a few more young guys already in the big leagues where I don't think they feel the need to go out and get somebody like that right now to like set a tone within the clubhouse that like we need a proven winner to come in here and show us how it's done. I don't think they're in that spot. So my hunch would be go see what you've got in these young guys and come the fall and then winter of 2024, you can now say, okay, yes, we need a first baseman. We need a starting pitcher, whatever that is. Then you go out and you fill that need directly addressing it with free agency instead of just guessing what you think you might need. 
We don't know the budget that Mike Rizzo is going to be given from the learners, but we know that it's not going to be an unlimited budget. And honestly, I would be more of an advocate of using whatever money is allotted to try to sign an Abrams or a Gray to an extension, as opposed to spending on some veteran who's been around and, you know, has mileage on his body and I would rather see that, you know, if you're going to spend money this offseason, that might be the way to go. Spend it on a C.J. Abrams extension. Spend it on a Josiah Gray extension as opposed to some veteran who, you know, you really don't know if he's going to end up working out or not. So it's going to be really interesting to see what can happen here. I mean, that is the wild card, right? Like, what is Mike Rizzo being told by Mark Lerner? What kind of money is Mike Rizzo going to have to play with here? And, you know, of course, we have this ownership uncertainty that continues with the team. You can always email the show, natschatpodcast at gmail.com. Wanted to work this into the show. This is from Kurt Waters. Just got off the phone with Dwayne from Burke, Virginia, who is a Nats Chat super fan, as am I. He has to have major surgery, and he asked his doctor if the surgery could be postponed until October 15th because he doesn't want to miss the Nats Chat party. <laughs> that is a loyal Nats Chat fan. Thank you for all you do and see you at the party. Wow, that is some email, Kurt. Thank you for that. And a salute to Dwayne postponing major surgery to attend the Nats chat party. That is something. I am humbled by that. And Dwayne, you better make it there on October 13th. And you better still be in good shape and not ultimately allow that delay to cause any problems down the road. I I hope that your doctors are on board with that plan, but we would love to see you on the 13th and wish you well in person for what you're about to go through. You know this, Tim knows this, we've seen this over the last now three years, how loyal this fan base is to the team. And you do start to see, I think, more enthusiasm right now than we've seen at the end of either of the last two years, certainly. There's a hunger among this fan base to say, okay, we've seen a glimpse now of maybe what they can be. We want to see more of it. And The hope would be a year from now at this time, we're really talking about a team that's on the cusp of doing something special. Yeah, I think if you're a Nats fan, you feel encouraged. I think you feel positive. I think you still have questions. I think you have to still have eyes wide open with a lot of this stuff here, but I think there's reason to feel better. You know, a a year ago, it was hard to feel really good about stuff, okay? (laughs) Right now, I think it's okay to feel good about things again and feel better about things and be hopeful that a year from now, things will be even better. You tell us what you think. Hit us up on Twitter at Nats underscore chat. Email the show, uh, NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com. You can find us uh, at our website too, NatsChatPodcast.com. We just mentioned it, the uh, second annual Nats Chat Podcast Party happening at Walters, uh, the best sports bar in Washington, D.C., right by Nationals Park. Uh, the party taking place on Friday evening, October 13th, beginning at 6.30. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. A thank you to Tim Newmark for the Nats Chat podcast music. Visit timnewmark.com. Nats Chat is on the radio Sunday mornings 11 to 12 on ESPN Richmond, which is 106.1 FM in the Richmond, Virginia area and ESPNRichmond.com online. Next up for the Nats, their final game of the 2023 season, Game 3 of this uh, three-game series at the Atlanta Braves Sunday afternoon, a 3-10 first pitch. Jackson Rutledge will be the Nats' starting pitcher. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi, and we'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast.
Now Tanner Rainey pitching for the first time in 2023 for the first time since July 10th of 22, returning from Tommy John surgery. The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.